Well, good morning. We are uh, here on a Labor Day weekend and glad that you're here. It's, uh, it's Labor Day and I think we deserve a holiday tomorrow, don't you? Yeah, I think we're entitled to a day off, right? A little entitlement. But what else do you think you deserve in life? I mean, really, what do you deserve for just simply being a human, for being an American, for, for being an adult, and a good-looking one at that, <laughs> right? Well, I deserve the good life, John, whatever that is. <laughs> I deserve a good cup of coffee, maybe even at a good price. <laughs> or I deserve to be treated with respect, right? Usually with your fist slamming the table. I deserve to be... How about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? It says it in the Declaration of Independence. It must be true. Maybe more than anything, you deserve a break today. Let's enjoy this video flashback to remind us what we really deserve. Life doesn't get much better than that, right? 80s style and top-notch nutrition all in one, right there. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting that we've grown up in a country, though, that fills us with really a huge sense of entitlement, and we're almost not aware of it, because it's all around us, you know? We just expect certain things to be a certain way, because that's the way it is, certainly here in America. So without thinking about it, we just assume that we're owed so much. And, you know, all the things that we're surrounded with, way, way, way more than McDonald's. Well, today we're going to look at one of Jesus' stories where the concept of entitlement is dealt with in a typically Jesus-twisted way. Now, I don't mean that Jesus was twisted, okay? I just mean that Jesus told these parables so he could take a normal story, you know, dealing with daily events, and then he would kind of twist things to shock the listeners and make his point. Jesus-twisting, Okay. Well, let's listen to this story Jesus tells, and, and I'm going to stop and start as we go along to kind of explain the cultural issues that come up to make it more clear. Starting in Matthew 20, Jesus is telling this story, and here's what he says. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Okay, we've got a landowner. He's got a large vineyard, as, it's gonna, as we're going to see here. And he goes out early in the morning to find some day laborers to hire for that day to come work in his vineyard. Now, the typical work day in that age, in that time, was um, sunrise to sundown, a 12-hour work day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So this is kind of setting the tone. So he's here before 6 o'clock in the, basically the town square looking for the day laborers and saying, I want to hire some people to come work in the vineyard. Okay? So he, he goes out to hire workers, and he agreed to pay the normal daily wage. It's called the denarius. If you have a different translation, that would be the Greek term there used. A denarius is what you would pay a day laborer, maybe a foot soldier, for one day's, one day's pay for working that one day. And he agrees to pay them that wage, and he sends them out to work. They're like, great, I got a job today. Off they go into the vineyards. Now, three hours later, it says at 9 o'clock in the morning, this same landowner was passing through the marketplace, and he sees some people standing around doing nothing. He sees his vineyard, he sees them, and he, so it says he hired them, telling him he would pay them, catch the difference, whatever was right at the end of the day. 
We've got a different agreement here, don't we? The first 12-day labor, he says, I'm going to give you a 12-day full day's pay for this. Now, three hours later, he goes to the people that are going to work up to nine hours, and he says, come on in, I want you to join the workers out there, and I'm going to pay you what's right, what you got coming. And they're like, do we trust this guy? You know, he's going to pay us what's right. Yeah, I need the work. I'm going to go ahead and do it. And they jump out in the field and do that as well. And uh, they join them. Now, he hires them, telling them, like I say, pay them whatever was right. So they went to work in the vineyard. Now, at noon, three hours after that, and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. He's passing through the town. Turns out he's got a pretty good-sized vineyard, huh? Boy, at noon, let me get some more people. Three o'clock, hey, here's some more people. I might as well pop them out. Each time telling them, I'll pay you what is right. And they jump out in the vineyard, just happy to get some work. One more level that comes up in Jesus' story, because at five o'clock that afternoon, the full day workers have put in 11 hours of work. They're almost hearing, you know, the, the bell, closing bell, finishing off there, saying, time to, time to close up, time to close shop, I'm done. At five o'clock in the afternoon, he was in town again, and he sees some more people standing there. I stop and I think, what is someone doing at five o'clock still hanging around the town marketplace looking for work, right? Are, did these people sleep in? Are they lazy? Were they the unhirables? You know, they were, they were like, I'm not hiring you. I'll hire you, 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 leave that guy there. We don't know. But the story is that Jesus, or excuse me, the landowner comes up and says, well, why haven't you been working today? And they said, because no one's hired us. Einstein, <laughs> you know, here we are. And uh, the landowner then told him, well, go out and join the others in my vineyard. One hour to go, the people are probably like, well, I'll pick up maybe just a couple of bucks, but, you know, it's something. You know, I'll get a little unexpected work for an hour. Okay, so that's what happens. Then that evening, he told the, the landowners, tells the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. Now, I have to stop and say this is when the Jesus twisting starts happening because what would normally happen? You would call in all your workers to pay them. By the way, they'd pay them every day because a day laborer needed that day's pay in order to buy food or whatever for him, his family, to make it to the next day. That's just what was done. It wasn't like you get paid every two weeks, into the month, you work your day, here's your, here's your money. Now, you would think in, in our culture today, and, and certainly in that time, that the person who was there the longest would get paid first, right? I mean, they put in the most work. Ah, twist, the twist begins. Because it says here that... Uh, it says that he's going to pay the last workers first. Now the listeners right off the bat go, hmm. When those hired at five o'clock, the one-hour workers were paid, each received a full day's wage. Woohoo! Jackpot! Party! Party time, you know? And, and, and then the three-hour labor and the six and the nine and the twelve are like, I wonder what's coming up here, you know? And uh, the one-hour laborers are, are, you know, jackpot, right? Well, eventually, and it implies that he goes down the line, when those hired first come to get their pay, they assume they'd receive more, right? I mean, come on, the one-hour laborer got a full day's pay. But it says, but they too were paid a day's wage. And when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. He says, oh, time out. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them, you paid them just as much as you paid us who were working all day in the scorching heat. And the landowner answered one of them and says, friend, I haven't been unfair, have I? Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? And then Jesus says, so those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last the listeners are kind of scratching their heads going weird. 
weird. Now, this story is not about proper business practices, okay? Jesus is not trying to twist proper pay scales so that we can run our good businesses into the ground with strange policies, right? So, so for those of you that are business owners or whatever, don't try and read into that. That's not what's going on. But this story is about, first of all, the nature of the landowner. And that landowner, the boss, that landowner is God. And one of the points that Jesus makes is that if God's generosity were to be represented by a man in this story, such a man would be different than any man we've ever met, right? And we see that in this story. Hmm, this is different. And this story is also very much about the workers and primarily the full-day workers, the 12-hour workers. You see, they felt entitled, but doesn't that make sense? We see those men that work 12 hours and we can easily feel what they were feeling. Hey, something's, something doesn't feel right about this. Something's not right here. Now, sure, we can make sense in our heads that the boss can do whatever he wants with his money. I mean, as long as it's legal. And we understand that, but it, it doesn't feel right to us, does it? Gosh, something just doesn't seem fair. Weren't, weren't these guys entitled to more money than the one-hour workers? Because in life, there's a general principle that says that extra work earns extra rewards. And whether you thought of it in that sense, you live your life that way. When you were in school, maybe you're in school right now, you work a little harder, you study a little harder, and you get better grades, right? In a job, if you work harder, you work, you know, work hard and do that. I, I know in our economy right now, maybe it's just, you know, hang on to your job. But normally, you work hard, you get, that, you get a raise, you get, you get a promotion. It, it's, it's payback for the hard work that you're doing in the good job. If you go out and you, you work out, whether you're lifting weights or running or whatever that you're doing, and you work out, the harder you work, the bigger the results. You get bigger, stronger, faster, right? Isn't that just the way life works? The more you put into it, the more you get out of it in the return. So the men felt entitled to more. Time out here. I, you know, this, this feels wrong. I'm entitled to more. I, I, I worked harder. And then there was that hot sun. But there's a huge problem with entitlement. See, feelings of entitlement are a trap. And I want you to see the trap. You see, it starts in our minds as something going against our own sense of fairness. Gosh, that doesn't seem right. And it starts innocently enough, but it quickly gets destructive. It goes from a little hmm sense of, I'm not sure about that, and then it becomes destructive. We end up feeling bitter, angry, jealous, and worse. You see, the men got upset at the boss, but is that because he showed amazing generosity to the others and only justice to them? He was just to them, wasn't he? But I'm going to get angry because he was amazingly generous to somebody else, you know? I'm upset at, I'm upset at a just boss, you know? I'm never working for him again. Really? Really? A boss that did exactly what he said he would do for you? What, my entitlement mentality. See where it starts getting, starts becoming a trap and gets destructive. And then those 12-hour days, I guarantee you, those 12-hour workers, they got bent at the short day workers. I guarantee it, you know? The full day workers are walking around town later that evening and they bump into one of the one-hour workers, you know, who received the full day's pay and They'd be shooting daggers with their eyes. Oh, there's one of those, you know, there's one of those guys, you know, you dirty one-hour slacker, <laughs> thinking you're worth the same as me. Come on over here, and I'll show you what I think of your one-hour work ethic. Arr. Like it's the one-hour worker's fault that the boss paid them so generously. But isn't that the way it would be? Isn't that maybe how you'd feel a bit? Oh, how come he, how come she, that's not fair. You know? And all of a sudden, this whole entitlement mentality puts me at odds with the boss who treated me totally fairly, puts me at odds with someone else who really has nothing to do with the situation. It becomes destructive, our entitlement mentality. 
Well, I want to take a look at how we can deal with these destructive feelings of entitlement because, folks, we have them. The feelings of being upset that we didn't get what we really deserve and also the feelings we get when we see the other guy who did get more, right? And what areas do we maybe feel entitled these days in America? Well, certainly in the work world, a good job, at least before, you know, the crazy economy, perhaps. But, you know, a satisfying marriage, a stable family, respect from others. I thought about this since we're here at church on Sunday morning. We often feel entitled to <coughs> church just the way we like it, right? You know, I want to come and I want to hear the music I want to hear and the style that I want. Cool, they did acoustic today. I can live with that, you know. I want to hear a message that hits me right where I'm at today. And I certainly want to sit next to some nice people. Don't look around. And looks next to you. you know, I want to choose where I want to sit and sit next to people that I want to. And it's kind of my entitlement because after all, I made the time to come this morning. I sacrificed some of my valuable Saturday morning to come to church. I'm entitled. Don't I deserve it? Oh, you may not say it, but isn't there a little bit of that? I, I feel all too often we, and maybe myself included, come to church with an entitlement of what it's going to be like because I deserve this. And then how do we feel towards others when they get something we think we deserve or maybe that they don't deserve themselves? Someone else gets a job promotion you don't and they haven't been working nearly as hard as you. Feelings of entitlement are a trap and I wanted to bring it to today to really see that this is what's a part of us so, so easily. Those feelings of entitlement are a trap and they can overwhelm us if we're not careful. Well, I want to look at, if, at, and if you want to grab along in your outline and fill in some blanks, you're welcome to do that. Let's take a look at a few ways to overcome those destructive feelings of entitlement because they are destructive. Well, first of all, to overcome those feelings of entitlement, we want to understand that God's ways are different than ours. God's ways are different than ours. And this is just the foundation, but we, we have to start here, folks, because we like things to be fair in life, but our concept of fairness is based on our own limited human wisdom, as wise as we think we are. We look at this story that Jesus just told and, and at this strange, quirky, and very gener generous man, and we say, he did what? He wasted his money. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me. Exactly. It doesn't make sense to you. Because the verse that Pastor Ron read earlier in Isaiah 55, it says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. Oh, you're right. <laughs> they weren't in this case. And God says, And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Folks, we have to start right there and say, That's where that God says, Hang on for the ride. It might get a bit bumpy. And you won't necessarily understand where I'm going. You won't necessarily understand what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. And is that okay with you? Because whether it's okay with you or not, it's who I am. And you see, when it comes to making the important decisions in life, I love to know that God sees the big picture. The next spot on your outline. I love to know that God sees the big picture. So he makes better decisions. He has the big picture in view. And of course, he's God. I see my sense of fairness and what someone deserves is based on my own limited knowledge, my own limited vision, my own flawed feelings of fairness because I'm not God. God knows everything all the time and his ways are far beyond mine. And friends, although that sometimes may frustrate us, it's really a good thing. God's ways are godly ways. They're all-knowing ways. They're perfect ways. And my ways are often it's kind of dead ends, although they seem good at the time. That's our foundation. That's our foundation. God's ways and my ways are very different. 
Well, second, to overcome the destructive feelings of entitlement, we need to know that none of us deserve anything good. None of us deserve anything good. Ah, painful but true. If, if we understand this, this is going to go a, a long, long way towards helping us in this area. You know, if I don't deserve anything at all, why would I begrudge somebody else anything, right? And yet we love to compare and feel like we do deserve so much. All my kids at home, I was thinking about it. You know, I laugh sometimes, but I was the same way. <laughs> Still am. Maybe not. Hopefully not. But you know, his piece of cake's bigger than mine. What, did you get out the micro scale and, and it was, you know, 0 0.002 ounces heavier, you know? It was, uh, it was, it's big. Well, and my family loves to eat fresh fruit and stuff and, and uh, fresh raspberries have been just wonderful. And I have one son in particular who just raspberries is his favorite food. Chocolate cake, eh, give me the raspberries. Well, he got 10 raspberries and I only got eight raspberries. And my God, be quiet. Were you thankful for your eight raspberries? There are starving children in Africa. Well, anyway, I'll let that go. <laughs> uh, let's read what the Bible says about who deserves what. In Psalm 14, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. It doesn't say it, but I can picture it. He shakes his head. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God, but no. <laughs> all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. And then Isaiah 64 takes it a step further and says, we are all infected and we're impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, we lift them before God, they're nothing but filthy rags. That's our good stuff. <laughs> like autumn leaves, we wither and we fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Well, the Bible clearly says, take your very best, hold them up before the Lord, hold them up before the Lord, and, and your very best reeks. It stinks. Our very best deeds don't earn us anything through merit. They're like disgusting, filthy rags, and we hold them up in the Creator's presence, oh, so proud of them, thinking we deserve such rich rewards. And instead, without Jesus, we wither and we fall, and our sin just sweeps us away like the wind. And it's not a pretty picture, but it's true. And we will not be trapped by our feelings of entitlement if we remember that none of us on our own deserve anything good because there's nothing good in us. I'm not entitled to anything. Zero expectations. Boy, if that's where I started, my, my, my mind, my attitude towards life would change. And fortunately, it doesn't stop there or this would be a depressing morning. God's ways are different than mine. <laughs> His thoughts are different than mine. And you don't deserve anything. Let's pray. Uh, we get to get, move to third. Third, to overcome the destructive feelings of entitlement, we need to know that God's grace is beautiful. We need to know that God's grace is beautiful. You see, as quickly as we see that we're entitled to nothing, and then we let go of our selfish expectations and feelings of entitlement, we see that in Jesus Christ, we do get something. Not because we deserve it, because we don't, but because God loves us and he sent his son Jesus to demonstrate that love for us and give us everything good. It's like, oh, I deserve this, I deserve this, with our hands clasped, and as we lighten our grip and go, you know, I don't deserve anything, and I open my hands and let go, well, there was really nothing there anyway, but when I finally let go, it opens my hands to receive the grace that God wants to give me. I can actually receive this, and it's beautiful. 
Psalm 103, starting verse eight says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love, big love, overflowing. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, hooray, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Folks, that is a gift to us in Jesus Christ. It's God's grace on display, showing us that our only true entitlements, the things you truly deserve, that I truly deserve, are death and destruction. And yet he forgives us. He takes away the stench and the penalty of our sin, and he makes us whole. (laughs) Remember that the principle in this world is that he who works the longest receives the most pay. Not in this parable, but most of the time, that's the world's principle because that's just, that's justice. But, and and I love this quote that I ran across, listen to this. In the kingdom of God, the principles of merit and ability may be laid aside so that grace can prevail. Did you catch that? In the kingdom of God, the principles of merit and ability, what I do and what I deserve, they, they may be laid aside so that grace can prevail. You see, God's gifts are distributed not because they're earned, but because he is gracious. It's up to him, not up to me. We're not entitled to any of it. But he gives it. And when I realize those first three points, I can't help but jump, jump into point number four. I learn to celebrate God's grace and respond with gratitude. You see, I realize that God's ways are different than mine. And I know that I deserve nothing good. I'm entitled to nothing except death and destruction. But then the beauty of God's grace comes into my view, and I can't help but be overwhelmed with it. And in response, then I celebrate God's grace with a woohoo, you know, and I say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 2 Corinthians 9.15 says it, short and sweet. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. This gift of salvation, this gift of forgiveness, this gift of grace. Thank him for it, it's too wonderful for words. I don't even know how to say it to describe it, he's saying, and, and I'm saying. I want to give you a practical moment-by-moment idea to help you rid yourself of any feelings of entitlement or any jealousy or anger towards another person who seems to be receiving more than you, right, that comparison. Maybe try this. See every single breath that you take, I'm talking a literal (gasps) breath, and inhale, exhale, as an opportunity to say thank you. And your inhale, (gasps) thank (sighs) you. (gasps) Thank you. Thank you. Okay, it might be kind of corny, but I'm always looking for some trick, some tool to grab onto to make God present in every moment of my life. And if every time I breathe, I'm thinking, thank you, thank you. I deserve that. No, I don't deserve to take the very breath that I'm taking. It's a gift from God. Thank you. You can call it thank you breathing. Call it whatever you'd like. But all of a sudden, for me, I'm like, this starts to make sense. You know, it might just break that hold on our destructive feelings of entitlement. I don't deserve the breath. Thank you. Not what do I think I deserve, but thank you for loving me and giving me breath, giving me life, giving me family, giving me this church, and certainly giving me Jesus on the cross. Oh, thank you celebrate this grace towards you. It's a celebration. And if, and if someone else is given extra grace, thank you, Lord, that you're a lover of people and a God of grace. I deserve zero zip. In fact, it's death and destruction. You gave me all this. And if you gave someone else all of this and all more of that, cool. 
thank you. I'm entitled to nothing, but I receive God's grace, and it's worth my freedom. It's worth my forgiveness. It's worth my eternal life in Jesus Christ. Well, I want to end with a personal story here and take a big chunk of my life, and this is tough to do, and give you a three-and-a-half-minute version that, that hits my heart, but it deals exactly with entitlement. I became a follower of Jesus when I was very young, a, a young boy, and I, I walked with Jesus, and somewhere as I was growing up, I made a decision to remain sexually pure until I was married. It was important to God, and it became very important to me, and I said, you know what? This is worth doing. This is what God desires, and it's a good thing. And so uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to do this, and as I got, you know, into my 20s and, and in college, and I graduated co- out of college at 22, and hey, I'm walking the walk and just walking with Jesus and, you know, doing right there, and I'm like, okay, God, all right, until marriage means, where's my wife, you know, because I'm looking forward to just marriage in every aspect of it, and I turned 23 and 24 and 25, and where's my wife, and 26 and 27, 28, and where's my wife? Aren't I entitled to a wife? I see all kinds of people around me doing all sorts of moral, immoral sorts of things, and, and uh, among other things in life, I'm committed to purity and walking with Jesus, but certainly that also means that I really like to get married, and where's my wife? And I turn 29, and I turn 30. Aren't I entitled to that, God? Somewhere around that time, God called me into ministry. I was a, a commercial musician down in Southern California doing studio work, and God made it very clear. He said, you can do that on the side, but I want you becoming a youth pastor. Me? And so I followed the call. I followed the call, and I laid aside a lucrative career, a lot of money, a lot of opportunity, the chance to who knows what. God said, that ain't nothing. I got something better for you. And I said, okay, Lord. Yes, sir, and I felt good about that. And I know that God's going to bless me through this, you know? God's going to bless me because I'm following him. I'm putting all those things aside. My friends are like, are you crazy? And I'm like, I'm just doing what God says, and I feel good about it, and he's going to bless me. And I faced amazing persecution in my first year, a half, year and a half at that same church where I was. Um, unbelievable persecution from within the church. You see, I was a musician and I had long hair. This is like 1990, 91 in that range, okay? I had long hair. And I was single and a youth pastor that was single, ooh, you gotta look out, you know, for him. And uh, who knows what else was there? And I didn't yet have my seminary degree, so who is this musician with long hair who's going to maybe be checking out our girls, you know, even though it's 30 years old or whatever, and he doesn't have a seminary degree. And I went through a year or two years of just absolute, excuse the language, but hell, in ministry. And it was tough day after day going, Lord, you called me, right? Remind me that you called me to this, you know? Aren't I entitled to a little more? A little more of God's blessing because I'm being obedient? Ah, well, God did reward my perseverance through persecution, and, and uh, ministry began to take off, and it was wonderful. And then my body got hit with a big, bad attack of something. And long story short, in 1993, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Still single, by the way, now at 32, 33 years old. Giving up my music career, in a sense, to follow God. Is, is this how I'm repaid? Aren't I entitled to more than this? This is ridiculous, God! when you're obedient to God, isn't he supposed to bless? Don't I deserve God's blessing, his simple blessing? And then somewhere in in a little spot in the black forest of Germany, one year later, I sat alone in a tiny hotel room, reeling from a treatment from from multiple sclerosis that went horribly wrong. And I saw Jesus on the cross for the first time. I mean, I really saw him looking at me and loving me 
I honestly at that night wasn't sure that I was going to be alive the next day because of what was going on. And as I prayed in desperation to God, he opened my eyes that evening and I, I finally began to realize all the things I'm telling you today. I didn't deserve anything on my own. <laughs> so quit trying, God said. Quit trying. You need me for every breath, don't you, John? Yeah, I guess I do. Come to think of it, I always have. Ever since I was born, I needed Jesus for every breath. Why didn't I realize it? I didn't realize it. Not at the heart level, I didn't. God's grace, his love for me, demonstrated by Jesus dying on the cross. And then I could celebrate that. And I could say thank you again and again with every breath I take for as long as I live. Now, I obviously didn't die that night. But Jesus changed me. I'd been following him since I was a boy, but I'd always made it about me about my performance for God, and I expected God to reward me for my life lived for him because I was entitled to it, or so I thought. And that night, I began to celebrate God's grace, and the following year, I began to celebrate God's grace and learn to say thank you for every breath, for every breath, for every breath. And I continue to grow in this area to this very day, 17 years later. God did bless me with an amazing wife in a year or two after that, Debbie. But not because I deserved her, finally. <laughs> I still don't deserve her. <laughs> but because God blessed me. And he blessed me with a beautiful family and a wonderful opportunity to serve him here at Twin Cities Church and Ministry. Again, simply because he knows best and he has exercised his grace by giving me far more than I deserve because by myself I deserve death and destruction. And God's grace revealed to me <laughs> in a small little hotel room on my own in Germany, <laughs> God's grace in action and, and I celebrate and say thank you. Can you do that? I don't know where you are in your life today and and what feelings of entitlement and why are things this way and they should be this way and all those things that we look at that, that, that little feeling of entitlement that turns into a trap that leads us into a real destructive pattern. God says, time out. When we understand God's ways are different than ours, we understand that by ourselves we don't deserve anything, but because of God's grace, he gives us because he loves us and we can truly say thank you and celebrate that. It's going to change how you live your life today and your attitude towards life this week. If we can do that, would you pray with me? Father, this is tough. <laughs> because I, I know for me and maybe for some others, maybe many of us this morning, we've realized um, how much we feel entitled. Uh, even even to your blessing, God. It's tied to our obedience. It's tied to our lifestyle. It's tied to who knows what, Father. Lord, I just, I just pray that you'd open our eyes and our hearts to you, that we'd practice thank you breathing, that we'd learn to celebrate and say thank you to the grace that you give us that's not hinging upon what we do, 
that we can release those tight, gripped hands on the things we think we deserve, Father, understanding that as we open our hands, Lord, you will then fill them with something of substance because you love us. And if you're sitting here today and you've never truly received God's gift of grace in Jesus Christ, you can do that now. Simply ask his forgiveness. Ask him to forgive you all you've ever done. Ask him to come in and to lead your life and to take you, to fill you with not what you deserve, but with what he wants to give you in his grace because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We want to celebrate. We want to celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen.